Uh, hello everyone, my name is Joel Toronto-Dirksen. I'm the intern at Canada's History Magazine and we're here with Professor Royce Koop of the Political Science Department at the University of Manitoba. Thank you for doing this interview. Yeah, no problem. So we had an article recently written in the magazine about the 100th anniversary of the first political convention in Canadian history where the members of the parties uh, chose the leader to, to run in the, in the election. Mm -hmm. um, so it's the 100th anniversary uh, since that happened. Um, and we were just wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about how uh, other countries pick the leaders of their party, like in the U.S., U.K., those kind of, those kind of places. Right. So, so parties will select their leaders on a, on a scale that, that ranges from an elite kind of, uh, sorry, an extreme kind of elite selection to a, an extreme non-elite system. Yeah. The most elite way that you can do this is to uh, have the members of the caucus select the leader. Uh, and this was the way it was done for a very long time in Canada. And right up until the uh, convention that you were talking about in 1919, the Liberal Party selected its its leaders simply through a vote of the caucus. Um, and the Conservatives continued on that way for some time. So that's the most elite type of candidate selection method you can have. In those situations, uh, you have a, a leader whose loyalty is to the caucus, it's to the party elite, to the parliamentary party. And there's a certain kind of leader that you get, uh, and that is the, the grand parliamentary. Uh, the, the leader that is experienced in parliament is probably being the leader of the opposition, or sorry, not, not leader of the opposition, served in a critic role or a minister role, and will have very substantial support in the caucus. After that, there's uh, some form of delegated convention in which delegates are voting for the leader. It's not always clear how delegates are selected. There's lots of different ways to select delegates. It can be very democratic, it can be very undemocratic, but what we normally see in Canada is uh, members selected on a constituency basis. But then we see people from unions and party elites get uh, get an extra vote and, and that sort of stuff. That's a, a less elite way of selecting candidates, and it means that the party leader owes their loyalty to someone other than the caucus, to uh, the people that are voting for them, the, de the delegates, the mid-level party people, or whoever. Uh, after that, we move into uh, more one-member, one-vote type systems, where people vote directly for the candidates. This can be uh, by email, by televoting, uh, which is what people did for a long time. Increasingly, people vote online. And the question here is, is how do you actually select who's going to vote? Party members uh, are oftentimes the people that vote, and they'll set a deadline for when you have to be a member up by in order to vote. But it can also be just a wide-open primary. Uh, so really anybody can vote for a leader. And we see a few of those in Canada, in, in Alberta. We've seen a few essentially open primaries where anyone can walk in and maybe pay a little bit of money to buy a membership, but they, they, it, it's a really open uh, selection process. So in these situations, the types of leaders that you get are very different than you would get through caucus selection. They're not necessarily parliamentarians. They're, uh, they can be outsiders. They can be insurgents. They can be crashing the party. And so this is where you get a situation, this, this, this funny situation in which leaders are not popular with the caucus. They don't have the support of the caucus. I could expand on that later if you want to. It's, actually, it's kind of an interesting thing.
But so in the United States, uh, there's this kind of convoluted primary process yeah. where where uh, presidential nominees are selected. Uh, states organize a series of primaries and, and, and caucuses uh, in which everyone who is registered as a Republican or a Democrat can vote. And that's a huge open primary, very, very democratic. And, uh, you know, in, in any party, you'll be able to plot the, the leadership selection process somewhere on that scale between elite and non-elite. Another question I had is about the system that we have now in Canada. Based on your own opinion, is it more democratic? In the article, it talked about how once William Lyon Mackenzie King came to power in the Liberal Party in 1919, he was able to dismiss some ideas put forward because he knew the people had chosen him. The attitude that he could do whatever he wanted was one critique of the system. But what do you think now? Do you think that this is a good system, or are there other ways that we can tweak it? Let me come back to that critique because it's a good one. It's a good critique of these more democratic systems of leadership selection. But in, in, in leadership selection... It's a good example of, of democratization over time that looks like you're kind of, you're turning the, the ratchet. Mm-hmm. Like you can turn it one way, but you can't turn it backwards. Mm-hmm. You can democratize, 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 but then you know, the partners say like, "Oh wait, we want to go to a less democratic form of leadership selection." Everyone goes crazy. There actually are a couple of examples of uh, of parties that um, they did take a step backwards. They had one kind of they had a one-member, one-vote kind of leadership selection, and uh, they went back to a, a convention, a delegated convention. And the the reason for that in both cases, I can't remember the, the exact, I think it's from Nova Scotia, but the reason the parties did that in both cases was because they missed the excitement of the convention. In a one-member, one-vote uh, system, you don't get that. You, know, oh, you, you vote and you get the result, and that's yeah. it. But... Conventions are the most exciting things in, mm. in politics, in yeah. democratic politics, because there's all this uncertainty built into it. So in an old convention, you might have six candidates, and the one with the smallest number of votes gets bumped off, and then they take their support elsewhere. They take their support to another candidate. You could actually see on the floor people, like they would walk across the floor, they lead their supporters to another candidate, and you didn't know what they were going to do. Uh, and there was this negotiation and, and horse trading behind the scenes, and the leaders had hospitality suites, and there was enormous amounts of drinking. But you can see that there was enormous excitement, and, and a lot of it could give a party a boost, you know, mm-hmm. having an exciting leadership uh, convention. And you don't just don't get that from one member, one vote. The advantage of one member, one vote is that you can draw a lot of people into the party to vote for a candidate. But with the conventions, you get the... Uh, you get the excitement. The, what do I think of, first of all, yeah, these are very democratic ways of selecting candidates. Mm-hmm. Parties in Canada now almost entirely use these, these, uh, these uh, they give members votes. I mean, it's, it's good for parties to be democratic. It's good to give people opportunities to select the leader. We do see that, and we've seen in a few cases, how these sorts of direct elections, directly electing leaders, inconsistent in some ways with parliamentary politics and how parties are organized in parliamentary politics. And this comes back to what I was talking about before. It's when a, when a leader is not selected by the caucus, it's possible for him or her to get selected and to have no support in the caucus. And that's a funny situation. So in a caucus selection, you just take the support of the caucus for granted. You get the most popular person. You have your caucus behind you. 
But with the direct election, that's not assured. And we've seen some cases where the leader did not have the support of caucus from the start. A good example, uh, Stockwell Day, when he became leader of the Canadian Alliance. Christy Clark, when she first became leader of the BC Liberal Party. In the recent Conservative race, Maxime Bernier would have had virtually no support in the caucus. Yeah. And the, the problem with that is that it's very hard to run a party in a parliamentary system if your caucus doesn't like you. Yeah. It's, 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 and, the, and, and so with Day, when, he was, when his caucus was rebelling against him, what did he say? Well, you would, what you would expect, he say, well, I was, I was voted in by the yeah. people, by the members. I had the support of the membership. doesn't matter. You can't, you can't lead a party with, if your caucus doesn't support you. It's just impossible. Yeah. And I think that over time, you know, this is just kind of proven over and over again that you can fight against it, fight against it. It's, if you can't mm-hmm. keep them on board, then it's over. And so with someone like Day, uh, as soon as he lost that election, he was he was just done. Mm-hmm. Now, contrast that with, with Andrew Scheer, who had enormous support in the party caucus, mm-hmm. virtually the entire caucus, for very popular in his own caucus. He doesn't have to worry about any, any of this kind of dissension in the party. He's run... Basically, the party supports him in a way that is not always the case. And I get the sense that if he loses this election, they'll keep him around. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll let him stay on for another election. Mm-hmm. And the result of that is probably likely that he'll be prime minister one day. Mm-hmm. If you can hang on, then you can win if mm-hmm. you're a leader of one of the two main parties. And so I, I think that's the real problem with these these more democratic forms of leadership selections. They're, they're inconsistent in some ways mm-hmm. with... Uh, this parliamentary form of politics. Mm-hmm. Would there be any like parallels you could make with what's going on in the United States? Because a lot of, I mean, Donald Trump was chosen by the, the vote in the mm-hmm. primaries, but a lot of, I don't know, establishment Republicans are very not happy with him because of, well, yeah. what do you think of that? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a these comparisons are always so hard to make, but it, it's yeah. actually a good comparison. It, it's an example of an extremely democratic form mm-hmm. of selecting a candidate, producing a candidate who was completely an outsider, mm-hmm. completely an insurgent, completely opposed to the interests of, of kind of the establishment Republican Party, mm-hmm. of establishment conservatism in mm-hmm. the United States. And so you get this, this spectacle of a, of a leader in some way, the pre- you know, the, the presidential nominee is he's kind of the leader of the party, mm-hmm. the president, when he, he's the leader of the party. Mm-hmm. That is, you get the paradox of, a, of, of someone who's, who's deeply popular with a certain segment of the party, grassroots right. supporters, but uh, will be opposed vehemently by, by another segment, in this case, opinion makers, establishment people. And it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the reason it, it can happen in the United States, of course, is because the party discipline is less important. The parties are organized differently. But, uh, you know, the president doesn't depend on the Republican Party in Congress to survive. Like, he's elected. He's there for four years. Like, there's no getting him out yeah. unless he's impeached. Yeah. In Canada, the caucus can give you the boot any time it mm. wants to. Yeah. So the, the presidential system is susceptible to this kind of stuff in some ways, and and we see lots of examples of this. Presidents that are popular with the grassroots, not so much with their with, uh, with uh, their own parties. He's yeah. an extreme example. Yeah, I mean Jeremy Corbyn would be another another example in in the UK because yeah. a lot of people, a lot of the Labour Party insiders, 
really don't like him, but I think a lot of the grassroots people do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And what a guy. I mean, he's just dragged the party in, into line in some ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, he never should have survived those first few months, that first year. Mm-hmm. And, and he did it basically by just this kind of perseverance and taming the party into something mm-hmm. that reflected his own image. It's quite a remarkable thing, actually. The uh, amount of dissension, the, the rebellion against him was very intense yeah. in, the, in, the, in the first while. He survived it. And I think you have seen kind of a, a remolding of the party in his image mm-hmm. and, and acceptance. Okay, look, we can't get rid of this guy. We have to do what we can with what we have. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the Republicans. I, mean, I was mm-hmm. just reading yesterday that the Republican National Committee is working in lockstep with Trump's re-election campaign. Uh, there's a lot of no one's running against him. No one of consequence is running against him. The, so, you know, the, in the same way that Corbyn has done that, Trump has remade the party. His mm-hmm. image and the party is kind of walking in lockstep with him now. Okay. Thank you very much for participating in this interview.